0: If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Alison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast, Thank you so much for listening. Later on.
1: Hello and welcome to Basic Folk on the American Songwriters Podcast Network. I'm Cindy Howes. Basic Folk, we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Today, we have Taylor Rice of Local Natives. I know Local Natives are not a folk band, but this is my podcast and I do what I want. They are one of my favorite bands of all time, so I was geeked to talk to founding member, guitarist, and co frontman Taylor Rice. Torchbearers of the Southern California band sound. Local natives are originally from Orange County, California. The core of the band have been playing together since high school. Taylor talks about what it was like to first make music together and how they developed their ultra-collaborative writing process. In fact, the process is so democratic that it could take them a really long time to finish a song. Although there is a reason for this which we get into during our conversation. One important piece of local natives' history is the house they all lived in together, which was called Gorilla Manor. It's also the title of their debut album. They moved into the house together after college to really go for it as a band. It's been said of the house, it was insanely messy and there were always friends over knocking around on guitars or our thrift store piano. Sounds fun. Taylor gets into how that experience of Gorilla Manor continues to inform their connection as a band. We also get into feminism and how Taylor continues to recognize disparity in the world and uses platform to change the conversation. Hope that the world opens up again one day and we can all dance together at a local native show. They are incredible. They have four albums out already with a couple of remixes, singles, and the EP Sour Lemon that just came out this past fall. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Taylor Rice of Local Natives on Basic Folk. Taylor Rice, are you ready to talk about your deepest feelings and emotions? Always. Okay, great. Thank you so much for talking to me. This is really exciting.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You're originally from Orange County. Can you talk about what your house was like growing up, like your family structure and where music was in your life?
0: Sure. Yeah. I um, grew up in the suburbs of Orange County. I had like... The most, I guess, normal nuclear suburban family. I had uh, one sister and then my folks, and we lived... Yeah, at the time, it was like early 80s. It was kind of like new. People were just moving to this part of South Orange County. Like, it was just being built. So it was total planned community, track home, suburbs, vibes. So early on, you know, music was in my house through my parents. Like, they loved you know, the Beach Boys and the Carpenters and stuff like that. But there wasn't anything out of the ordinary with music. And I would say I really discovered it for myself when kind of at like 12 years old, I met my bandmate, Ryan, in seventh grade, and we picked up guitar together and we started playing guitar. And that kind of led us to, in Orange County, there was kind of like a hardcore and punk scene that was going on in in like base like church basements and house parties and stuff. And that was our beginning. We were like the music kids in Orange County who didn't want to go to the beach and were like, there has to be more <laughs> than this suburban, you know, so we would like go crazy in in basements of churches.
1: So I want to hear more about like when you first started playing the guitar with Ryan. Um, like how you first connected with that instrument?
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like when I chose it, I was actually really into Metallica. <laughs> I forgot that. That's how I learned to play guitar was on Tabs and Metallica. Um, and then we so early on, we were like, let's just play guitar. We were into guitar music and playing in the garage. And then right after that, we got super into at the drive-in. Which is, uh, you know, like a thrashy post-punk-ish uh, guitar band, and yeah, that was like the impetus. That's who we were—we're were emulating, uh, playing house parties and stuff like that.
1: It's just like so far from <laughs> what you guys sound like now. That's great.
0: <laughs> I know it's really—it's really wild.
1: When did you start? singing and how did you feel about your voice at first and how have you like grown into it or developed it
0: yeah the the vocal journey um for me and for local natives is really interesting because we have three singers and we have three songwriters and um early on it's kelsey ryan and i are the singers and songwriters and we all wanted to sing but we all kind of were shy about it, but also kind of vying for the singing spot. And uh, really early on in the band, like more when we were 15 or 16, we got very into kind of 60s harmony bands like Crosby, Sells, Nash, and, um, you know, Zombies, of course, Beach Boys. And um, so we realized we could just all sing at the same time. So it's really it has been a pretty democratic thing where um, especially on our first record, it'd be like, there's no lead vocal here. Like we're just all singing. Um, and then, yeah, there also has been interesting times where, because we all do write, um, and usually when you write, you do sing your own song often, but sometimes it's much more collaborative. So yeah, I, so then back to my personal journey, I, I actually really started singing along with Sufjan Stevens like when Seven Swans and then Michigan came out and that was, I was like really obsessed with those records and kind of gained more confidence as a singer, like weirdly through that. And he's like so quiet and whispery, you know? Um, mm. So it was like an easy way to transition into, into singing, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. And then it's just been kind of a journey from there.
1: So all three vocalists in the band it's so funny because you could probably ask like somebody who'd never heard local natives like how many lead singers does this band have and they would probably say one because everybody's voice kind of has the same tone to it um is there like an easy way to tell whose voice is whose like whose is yours, whose is Ryan's and Kelsey's and then like what are some aspects of um the other two voices in the band that you admire and have learned from them as vocalists.
0: Yeah, it is so funny because we've been singing together, the three of us, you know, since we were like 15, 16 years old. And I do think we learned how to kind of sing and blend together, but I, it's very distinct um, to me. Like I know both of their voices so well. So part of it is range Um, my range is the lowest and then Ryan's is in the middle and Kelsey has the highest. Um,
1: is it like scary high
0: Kelsey? So Kelsey can really belt high. So if you need to like really project or have kind of a more soulful, like very, um, you know, like chest voice, high, loud vocal, Mm. then Kelsey will have the edge on that type of vocal part because all of us can really sing quite high, like falsetto in our Mm -hmm. head voice. So depending on what type of harmony it is, we do switch around a lot, like throughout our set, each of us will be taking the high part. It's not like right. Crosby stills Nash where everybody like really stuck to their range. They were like alto yeah, yeah. tenor bass, sax, you know, um,
1: Kelsey's like the American idol.
0: <laughs> Kelsey is like the American idol. I love that. I, I don't think he will like that, but I like that.
1: Um, <laughs> he's the Mariah Carey. Yeah. Totally. Is that better?
0: Yeah, that is better. <laughs> um, so a lot of it is range, but then there is more to it. Like Timber wise, Kelsey's voice is a little bit scratchier. Um, It is a little like more nasally in certain parts too. And I think that's partially why he has that like ability to really like soar with his vocal, you know, kind of belty higher. Ryan's voice is very, very smooth and it's much softer. It's like a much quieter, softer, but, but super, super smooth voice
1: um about writing you're talking about there's a very democratic process in all of what local natives does and in particular in writing um and you said about writing when i bring a song to the band it's going to transform into something greater than i could just do how do you think that collaborative process has affected you personally in your development as a writer
0: yeah it's it has affected me so much because you know i have not done a solo record even so my whole career really has been in this collaborative setting and i think i've just learned so much from my bandmates who have at this point like i know they're kind of very specific strengths um and i think we all are trying new things and and innovating as well over time but also like everybody really kind of has their their zone of what they excel at um mm-hmm. and I've I've just learned a lot from that I think I've learned like Ryan and I really connect we're more on the like pop music loving side like the craft in terms of I'm not necessarily saying like current pop music but maybe more like classic pop writing or like Beatles song structure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and really kind of thinking like that really compels Ryan and I we connect on that level and then Kelsey is much more experimental and he like does not care about that almost at all and so I connect with Kelsey on that side when it's like let's like totally th- like be outside of the box and not care about anything other than being on a crazy journey with the song and and running free so I think I mean, I could talk about this for a long time, but in broad strokes, that's what first kind of comes to my mind with that.
1: Do you have a desire to do a solo album?
0: I do at this point. You know, we've been local natives. It's kind of been 10 years. And Kelsey did a solo record, which like at the time, um, he's also more prolific. Like each album cycle, he will write a bunch of songs for the album. And then like a lot of them, won't get used so he was like sitting on all these songs and he did a solo record and at the time it was kind of like uh just you know a a very new experience for us who have always been so tied to each other creatively but it was really cool it was really great for him and getting to watch him not have me (laughs) telling him what to do with (laughs) his songs I think it was a really great experience for him and and I think I would really love to do that as well. Yeah, I'm, it's something I'll probably do in the next like year or two.
1: Cool. Can you also talk about like the openness and vulnerability you might have to like conjure when bringing a song to the band? Like what happens to your ego when you're presenting a new idea if it's such a democratic process?
0: Yeah, there there has been a lot of growth with that with local natives. It was much It was much more difficult in the beginning in that it really is your like heart and soul and these songs you're bringing to the band feel like your baby. And then you have to like put them up on this altar for everybody to judge and pick apart. And, you know, you can be like, you just don't see my vision. Like it's very (laughs) crazy for your ego to be that vulnerable. And I think over time, we've really learned that lesson of, when we put it in the mix of the band, like something new gets made and it's not totally controllable and you kind of have to like submit to the whims of the magical process that is collaborative Mm. songwriting. Um, and I think we, we are, we've also learned like to be more gentle (laughs) with each other in communication, like sensitive, um, and yeah, just a little bit less precious over time with that I still know when I have a song idea that I'm like oh man I'm so excited about this this could be like I have some vision and it could be so epic and it's still a scary proposition because someone could you know just not see it or be like let's totally flip it on its head and make it this super you know mellow like backbeat track and I'm like no this is (laughs) like you know an epic opus or I don't know um I'm making that up but but yeah that that has been a long dynamic that I really think we've gotten to a great place with each other
1: I also wonder like it sounds like that is such a healthy way to approach a band and I also like wonder if it's like made you a better person
0: (laughs) oh yeah that's um that's a really sweet thought and I I do think in certain ways, I think that all of us, like we're musicians and song writers, but so often in bands, like there's someone who's like, well, this is my song and they're kind of, you know, really arrogant or bossy with it or difficult to work with on that level. And I just think from the beginning, we have had to really collaborate with each other. We've had such a democratic process, like a song does not get through to a local native's record without basically sign on from everybody. Mm. So I think that collaborative spirit has really, really been ingrained in us from the start. And yeah, I, I don't know, as a human, cause I was gonna say like, I'm probably like the most difficult as a person, at, like my most difficult will be in working on a song. You know, like in my normal life, I'm um, probably not going to be as like passionately heated uh, with somebody about something. But yeah, I think all of us, we are like great friends. We're childhood friends and that that Mm -hmm. brings something to it, too. You know, we have this relationship that's like beyond creative partners. We're like friends from our youth as well.
1: I have a couple of questions about Gorilla Manor, the house that you all moved into after college. And I got a quote from Ryan that kind of summed it up. It was insanely messy and there were always friends over knocking around on guitars or on thrift store piano. Um, so it sounds like I would not have enjoyed spending a lot of time there. Very dirty. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was
0: but- a, It was a little bit dirty, yeah.
1: How do you think that foundation of getting everyone in that house and living together has impacted the kind of connection the band has with each other?
0: That really cemented the like totally enmeshed democratic spirit vibe of like we are all so connected and in this band, like this thing is so vital to our you know souls like on that level mm. we we had already before that like we had been a committed band for a really long time and we had done self-book tours we had played like hundreds of shows so we had already like dedicated a lot of our life to the band but of course we did have like we were still going to school like I was in college and it wasn't like 90 percent of my life and then moving in together and being in that space where we could just wake up and at any moment be like let's work on that song and just breathing it you know like Mm -hmm. day in and day out and and kind of living together as a unit really did kind of like in mesh the like spirit of what local natives in our band dynamic is
1: Mm. What are some aspects of Gorilla Manor that you've kept as a band at wherever your home base happens to be?
0: Um, you mean like that house?
1: Yeah. Or like, like the, the dirty, vibe, everything? Dirty laundry and broken pianos. <laughs> the
0: um, vibe. <laughs> that is the part that's changed the most. I would say we're all a lot neater and cleaner now, um, <laughs> you know, as you get older and, um You're not just in a band, like living in a van or in a bus or in a house with, you know, five other people. Um, Yeah, I I don't think that uh, we're as dirty (laughs) as we were then. (laughs) Um, That's a, a big shift. But one thing that's not is like we have had such a strong like community spirit and like the band always hangs out. We get together with each other and all of our partners. And I know, you know, now a lot of us are married or in long-term relationships and we do have like people over all the time. Unfortunately, um, not this year, which is which is why this year for us has been so hard is because we're like, we have no experience being solitary, like for our whole mm. adult lives. We've been, you know, living on the road together, living in places together, working on music, having people around all the time. So this year is is an outlier. But that aside, I I do think kind of that spirit of just like people are welcome and we want to be around a lot of people and have a strong community uh, is still a very present thread in all of our lives.
1: Um, I read that you were particularly struck by Bjork who has like a different more exper- experimental sound than local natives. Um what is it about like Bjork and maybe other musicians like Talking Heads and Animal Collective and others that um that you like who tend to be more on the fringe that you find inspirational for your own playing?
0: Bjork was one of the most influential artists on me in that early time period, like around Gorilla Manor. And it was a connection to just her music, like her voice, particularly you like to me, you cannot hear Bjork's voice and not just be transported to like such a deep emotional space. I just think what she kind of projects and embodies just really takes me, um, to like very extreme emotional places. And then yeah, in her music, uh, like the production and everything else about it did the same thing. Like it would just take me to kind of other other worlds and other places. And I, I just, that was like, to me what music was about was the transportation mm-hmm. and to feel connection like to these parts of your, your emotional life and your body and your spirit that you don't like even consciously think about all the time Mm. you know you can put on a record and be in touch with elements of like your your own psyche that you didn't even really know were lurking there and and bjork was kind of like the very first ultimate place Mm. for for me inspirationally
1: it sounds like it was more of an emotional connection than you were really into the weird shit that she does
0: yeah, like it was less cerebral. I think like the other bands you just mentioned, particularly Animal Collective. And again, like I think that list of influences was particularly strong around Gorilla Manor. Mm-hmm. So obviously that was like 10 years ago. So things have changed too. But um, yeah, for me, Bjork was absolutely on the, on the pure, just emotional, like visceral side. Whereas Animal Collective and Talking Heads, it was like, man, that's clever, or wow, that's so, what cool, what a cool idea to like musically, you know, do this transition that would be like out Mm. of nowhere or really insane. And, you know, um, I think those are just create, like really creative artists on a more cerebral level.
1: I think the thing about your band is that I think you guys are really good at taking a less accessible band, like Animal Collective or Talking Heads and making it like very accessible for all. And I don't know exactly how you do that. It might be like the harmonies that that you have that um, you were influenced, you said, by Beach Boys and Zombies. Can you talk about the philosophy on harmonies and local natives?
0: Sure, yeah. Um, it really just started, like I said, with all of us wanting to sing. So we really did discover it in kind of this really beautiful, naive way of just like, here's a song idea, let's all sing and find where our voices fit. And that was even before we knew what our voices were, you know? So we really developed like how to sing three-part harmony together. Um, Then, you know, I already mentioned like a lot of those sixties harmony bands were doing such beautiful, great, like very present three-part harmony. So there was some influence there, but, Um, it was really like experiential and we still do that. Like when we're writing a song, we always, the three of us get together and go around just a guitar, just a piano, and just, we'll just loop the verse or the chorus, whatever apart. And we'll just sing it over and over. And our voices will just naturally find these places that just feel good and feel right. And we all just keep doing it in this kind of like trance until it's like, yep. That's awesome. Like, that feels right.
1: What does that do to your brain?
0: It feels so good because you really disappear. And I think with making music, like, you're really chasing that thing, which is I've, you know, read about now called like flow state, where your mind goes to another place. It gets like out of the way. You're not even really thinking, you're just like so present and so in the moment, completely mm. present. And so it's it's actually one of the very best, like most satisfying things about making music as local natives is that time when, when we have a song idea, it's early, we're just around one acoustic instrument and we're just singing it with the three of us and finding these grooves for where these harmonies come out. Sometimes, you know, they're super, you know, just standard and pleasant. And sometimes they're really crazy and they'll, you know, like we... They don't necessarily follow rules where it's like, oh, we're now we're joining, you know, we're singing in unison right here, but then it bends down and you go up and I go down. You know, it's just something that you Mm. just feel vibrationally. It's really fun.
1: It sounds amazing. Like a Tibetan sound bath or something.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Um, Aside from playing music, you also enjoy the travel aspect of, well, I don't know how much travel you would uh, label touring. Um, Playing to international crowds. You say you've definitely noticed the nuances in the crowd, depending on where you are. Like, what is playing for international audiences taught you about differences in culture?
0: Yeah, you can you can certainly feel cultural differences in in the audience. I mean, I would say you gain more of a cultural understanding on the travel aspect, like spending, you know, now we've we've spent several weeks in Italy and in Japan, you know, over our careers. So you get more from that, but it is funny to to know the differences of you know, audiences at like festivals like in the UK, people are just really like drunk and wild, <laughs> you know, cuz it's like always raining and it's cold and they're just like so happy to be at a festival and then in well, now I'm like horribly stereotyping, so maybe I won't go any further. But um, <laughs> you can, yeah, feel cultural differences in in the way the audiences react. I'll say one more that's like quite nice. Like whenever we play in in France, it's very quiet during the songs in a way that's atypical. Like normally you want the crowd to be moving and dancing and singing and the audience in France tends to be very, very attentive, but then the song's over and they like go wild. So when Mm. we first played there, we were like, Oh, we were so confused. We're like, do they not, Mm. is it not happening? Are we not connecting? And it was just a cultural difference, you know, of, of how they're present with a song. Mm.
1: Um, Watching local natives play live. It's like you can feel and see the admiration, love, and respect that you all have for each other. What is that live experience like for you?
0: <laughs> That's really sweet. Um, playing live is, so there's kind of like two sides to being, a, you know, in local natives, I guess, a musician in a band in like this, this time. Um, and one is that creative process which we were talking about. And then the other is you go and you're like on the road and you're on tour and the travel is difficult. Um, Like visiting places is fantastic, but your your body has to be in motion a lot and that's kind of draining and it's difficult. You're away from home. It's destabilizing. But for all of us in the band, we've been able to tour so much because we're all united and it's the other place I think where you really like disappear and get into just being totally present Mm. in a show, any show, the goal is just to, yeah, completely get out of the way of your mind and your thoughts of like, am I, you know, performing this? Well, what's next, what's right. There was this mistake or that like we've learned over the years that none of that matters. The most important thing is just being present and in the moment. And that's how you get the connection with the audience. And that matters more than anything. And yeah, we're just all in love with that feeling. I think we're, it's very like addicting, you know, mm-hmm. you get a crazy rush uh, from performing live. So we we do love it.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of bands, I think, that like convey that sense of joy as well as local natives do. do so it's cool to hear about. Um, so you have mentioned a couple of th- things that you've been pretty obsessed with, a couple of musicians you've been pretty obsessed with. I brought up Bjork, you brought up Sufjan Stevens. You also went through an intense Leonard Cohen phase. What does that look like when you get obsessed with something that can impact your creative side and how do you see it translating into your music? Is it something you freely allow?
0: Yeah, it does, of course. Like I think that I could look at any of those kind of major influences and pinpoint things in local natives music of of I I can see connections to influences um, for sure. I don't think it's, it is that linear. Um, because we're not, I'll just speak for myself. Like when you're writing, when I am writing to kind of have this idea, like I'm going to write this type of song and it's going to sound like Leonard Cohen, or it's going to, you know, be animal collective plus like it never works out. And we've never really done that. Like you don't if you are too in your head with writing and literally trying to like force something out, that's never where the best songs for myself and for the band have come from. Um, So I think the influences are are like just permeating inside your head. And then they, it's, it's way easier to see after the fact, Mm. but when I'm obsessed with like like
1: processing an emotion or something,
0: (laughs) totally. And then that can come out in some way. Um, like an example would be with the Sufjan stuff early on, like it did come out, I I wrote all these like violin lines, not just me, but I I wrote a lot of them for Gorilla Manor that were pretty influenced by like Sufjan Stevens and how he would have this motif that would kind of like grow throughout a song and is often like a string or a horn line and then it would go through the song and keep building and building and building and that was something that um i feel like was an influence of that and then talking heads like there's some just jagged it's just like a feeling like there are these jagged edges that come from talking heads that feel sort of like drastic and off-kilter that i think we were also really attracted to I don't know if this is making any sense to you. I'm just like thinking of of ways these have come out, but uh yeah, it's 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 not that linear. It kind of just is in there, and then you you can draw the connection after the fact.
1: That's cool. I like hearing about it. Okay, here's a quote of you. I probably known the most in the band for losing my mind over details, refining and trying to get things right, lifting up every single stone. And that comment makes me want to know more about your relationship with anxiety.
0: Mm. Okay, well, there's like a pre-COVID and post-COVID answer. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we'll leave COVID out of it because it's not really related to what we're talking about here. So we've been on this path to like not overthink it and not be so stressed and tight like each record. We kind of try and go in that direction. And I think in general, that's good. But there's always like a song or two... That's like my song that I cannot help but be like so hyper focused on. And it has to be the best possible thing that I think it can be. So on Violet Street, that was the song, When Am I Going to Lose You? And we ended up bouncing like it was it was maybe 47 like versions of that song.
1: Put it on the box set.
0: Yeah, totally. We (laughs) we did. Um, I think we released it. And we released like not all of them, but I think it was called like 30 Ways to Lose You or like 37 Ways to Lose You. And it was all of these, it was just like snapshots throughout the process of of the version of that song. And a lot of them are so similar, you know? Um, like I would definitely have to explain to you what the difference is between a lot of them. <laughs> um, it doesn't feel like anxiety to me. I would go into the studio. This was with Sean Everett who produced Violet Street on this example, and I was excited every day. I would stress over, like, should the drums be, with When Am I Gonna Lose You, there was this discussion about, it had this, it has this driving beat to the song, and at the last second, we almost really chilled it out and made it really mellow and really breezy. Cause Mm. it's, it's quite like a beautiful, like sad song And then the drums and the vibe, it kind of picks it up. And we were like, maybe it's just wrong and it's fighting it. Like this song, like, let it be sad and let it be mellow. Um, So there's all these versions of that. And I was like, but I'm missing, like, there is an intensity. Like, I get the sad emotion, but I need the intensity. So we created this crazy hybrid that had, like, the saddest version of the song with the most driving drums. And that was this really long like journey that was 47 bounces until to me it was perfect. And yes, I was stressing out about it because I wanted it to be perfect and I wasn't okay to be like, it's cool. Like, I like it. Let's move on. You know, like I was obsessed. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was like loving it. You know, I loved going into the studio every day and working on it.
1: Yeah. That's a great song. And it is like, it's funny to hear how stressful It was for you and how you stressed over it is a song about anxiety
0: yeah and like trying to it's a song about trying to let go of letting the anxiety get in the way of like you know the right path for you
1: and in the creation process you didn't do that
0: (laughs) incredibly meta well I had to I had to live the same experience in the creation of the song of what the song was about you know so
1: (laughs) that's perfect
0: that is amazing I never thought about that
1: The new EP is Sour Lemon. So good. The song Lemon tackles themes of longing for connection in a world of isolation, which you co-wrote as a band with Sharon Van Etten. And Sharon had just moved to L.A. when you wrote that song. How do you think her move affected the writing and also the role the city of Los Angeles plays in the song? Well, Sharon...
0: Didn't work on the lyrics with us. Um, So I do think she connected to the song because of what it was about, very much so. Um, So I think there are like awesome magical meta layers of that, like exist with that relationship. But um, the story of that was she had just moved to LA. We had been connected like back in Brooklyn forever ago when Aaron Dessner from the National made our second record. And we lived in Brooklyn at that time, you know, at his house making that album. Mm-hmm. And he had just finished with Sharon. So we met Sharon that, you know, then. So this is like fast forward years later. She just moved to LA. She's like, yeah, I'd love to like write with you guys. And she just loved the song right away. She helped us write uh, the outro and some of the melodies. And and then, you know, we really wanted it to be a duet. And she agreed to sing it with us. And it was just like, the most beautiful, like easiest Mm. process. That was a song that actually is, I mean, it's a very simple song too. Like it's not um, complicated or, you know, like massively produced in any way. But that song was written very quickly uh, with Ryan. So Ryan wrote the lyrics uh, for Lemon. Mm, And then he, he had like just the verse. I'll just give you the quick synopsis in case it's interesting to you. Ryan came over to my house and he was like, I have the start of a song. And it was the verse and he had the guitar, the verse melody and then the guitar for the chorus and the verse. And then I wrote with him the pre-chorus melody and the chorus melody like in an hour. And then I wrote like the other little lead lines and stuff. So we were like, cool, that's like a song. You know, it's simple, but there it is. Then we wrote with Sharon. She was like, It's awesome, but it just, it needs like a shift at the end. What if you, she suggested like the chord changes for the end. And then she wrote her beautiful, like waterfall melody that I'm super in love with. Then she wrote that on the second day of working on the song. Then the third day, basically Ryan and I, I wrote like the last melody for the outro. And then Ryan wrote the lyrics, which we, we do collaborate on and like workshop together. But he, he wrote those, um, (laughs) i don't know what your question is i'm just telling you i'm just talking to you about writing lemon because it was so much fun to work with sharon it was just amazing
1: yeah i was grasping for straws there because it does like la plays like a pretty lonely role and i wondered if like somebody had moving to la kind of had a different perspective but i was wrong
0: yeah you were you know that's But like, you're not wrong. And that is a big lesson with with writing songs is that they come from a place and they do have a specific meaning. Like that song lyrically, it was like Ryan's experience with his girlfriend and kind of feeling so entwined, but then how you can feel isolated within this companionship. Mm. Um, And how like kind of this domestic bliss mundane thing can have this flip side like it can be so beautiful but it can also feel isolating in certain ways and yeah i do think like sharon really connected to the lyrics but it wasn't from her move
1: that's cool Local Natives to me seems like a very feminist band. You've sung lines like, unafraid to call yourself a fen- feminist, and I've waited so long, Mrs. President. How did you come to call yourself a feminist?
0: <laughs> um, I'm glad that you have that th- thought about us. I think uh, it's it's funny that you use those two examples because it definitely is a learning process. Like, we are we are still learning. I remember first calling myself a feminist. I remember where I was, I don't remember which year it was, but we just had this discussion. It was like when I was just learning about feminism and there were preconceived notions about it. And I was talking to a friend of mine and he was like, it it just means like like acknowledging that women haven't had the same historical status as men and thinking that they should. And I was like, oh that's extremely non-controversial in any way. (laughs) Like that's the most obvious like thing in the world. So that was a long time ago. And then, yeah, it really has been a journey for me, um, in like becoming more vocal and more of an advocate about it. It's something that the band then like took on. we, we work with plus one, which, uh, arcade fire started. And it's this thing where at every concert, $1 for every ticket, it it goes to a charity you can choose. And we chose this broader category of, um, like prevention of sexual violence against women and kind of women's health and reproductive health. And, the organization's so great because they help they help us find like local women's shelters or other organizations in every city that we're touring in.
1: Oh, so you can donate directly to a local organization in that city.
0: Yes. So cool. we would split the ticket like we picked one uh, national organization. And then in every city, the other half of the dollar would go to a local organization. They would be at our merch table so people in that city could like get connected um, with that organization, it was so awesome, you know? And it, and it, so yeah, it is something that is like very near and dear, but I'm also laughing because it had just like come up. That second line is, is a, a line of mine from fountain of youth. I can't wait to call you Mrs. President. And I re and it's sexist. <laughs> like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be Mrs. President. It should be madam president. Cause Mrs. Is from misters And like it's just something that I was like, I'm like a feminist and I you know, we're doing this and like I totally messed up on that line. (laughs) You know, Mm. like I fell I fell short, but that's part of what it is. You have to be open.
1: I didn't even realize that myself.
0: Yeah, it's like like if when a, a woman becomes a president and like you probably have seen in, you know, TV shows and stuff, they say Madam President because Mrs comes from saying it's misters. You know, it's the thing mm-hmm. of, like, it's Mr. and Mrs. Williams. And it's, like, the woman has no identity because she's mm-hmm. just underneath the man. So it's all tied to um, that kind of, like, lineage of women becoming, like, you know, basically property <laughs> when they get married. Um, so, yeah, Mrs. It was not the best term to use. Uh, Madam would have been a lot better. Um, but, yeah, we're just all on the journey and, and trying to be advocates and learn more as we go
1: have you ever heard of the old boys network The uh, old boys network
0: no what's that
1: i mean it's it's not a specific thing but like oh the, well yeah like yeah of boys course. the old guys club
0: yeah for sure um
1: so in an article where you were reacting i think to the first presidential debate you said that trump represents this last dying gasp of fear of losing control um which yeah Hopefully
0: that gasp is going a little stronger than I had hoped, but yeah, I, I still, I still stand by, I mean, it seems more obvious now than ever that that's what it is to me, but yeah.
1: What has been your experience and reaction of that good old boys network?
0: (sighs) Yeah. It's something that in like a short amount of time, even over the, that last I guess my journey with this really would have started like seven or eight years ago, probably where I really started to become educated about feminism and the patriarchal structure like in history and in the U.S. Um, It's wild. It's really strong. It's really pervasive. And I think that the 2016 election was a scary wake-up call because there was a sense living in Los Angeles as a very liberal musician surrounded by a bunch of liberal creative people every day in these Obama years that like, you know, we're on the right path and like everybody's kind of, yeah, like some people are still hold these very old prejudices, but they're not really that relevant um, there. And as we've seen, I mean, 75 million people voted for Trump in 2020 and, and, it's really, it is difficult to really take that in and know, like, how many of of my fellow Americans kind of see that brand of wanting to hold on to that old structure and the good old boys club, um, which just, you know, Trump could not embody anymore. He spent, you know, a third of his presidency at, at Mar-a-Lago golfing and so many of the... Cabinet members and stuff. Like, it's just, it's so kind of like despicable to me, but something that we really need to like reckon with.
1: Hmm. You and your wife have a baby son. Is he 11 months?
0: We do. He just turned one.
1: Oh, congrats. What's Thank his name? Thank you. Elio. Elio. What have you thought about in terms of like what you want to say to him about this stuff? I mean, he's only one, so you maybe have not thought about that. And has any of that made it into. You're writing,
0: yeah, um, yeah, yeah, when my my wife and I originally like we just had in our minds that we wanted to have a daughter, which is also like to have that kind of desire totally complicated and a whole nother issue um mm. but but just being honest uh that that is kind of where we were, and there was this like early when we found out that we were having a son, we had this conversation like in a way that it just felt like a harder responsibility to, to raise a man. And again, I'm like, I'm so aware of obviously placing the gender on my child. And we also want to be conscious and, and open. Um, but you know, whatever stating that I think, it does feel like a responsibility and it's something that now, you know, from that moment to now it's like being a parent has just been the best thing ever. Like I'm so in love with him and being a father. It's, it's like opened up uh, like my life in all these crazy ways that I was excited about, but couldn't have really foreseen. Mm. And it's something that we're both really excited about. And I've thought a lot about it and yeah, a lot of my early all the new songs that I'm working on are basically like informed <laughs> by by new fatherhood and having a son and what that means um at this time and in this world and it's been really beautiful. It it has given me a lot of hope among uh what has been a pretty tough, I mean, the last 4 years from a political kind of social standpoint have, have been difficult mm. um as somebody who wants the world to be headed in a different direction than we took it with the election and where a political system is. So yeah, it's it has been a, a place of inspiration, something I'm very excited about.
1: Cool. Looking forward to hearing the new songs on your solo album in twenty twenty one. Yeah,
0: thank you. <laughs> Me too.
1: Before we go, will you do the lightning round? Yeah, of course. These are more songs about yourself, except they're not as deep. Okay. All right. Here we go. What was the first song you learned on the guitar?
0: Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I even learned the solo, which I don't know if I could do today when I was 13 years old.
1: Reminds me of like junior high dances.
0: So good, but not that good.
1: But not that good. (laughs) What is your karaoke song?
0: Let's dance, Bowie.
1: Dogs or cats or something else?
0: I'm both. I love dogs and cats. Oh. And I take other animals too, but dogs and cats would be my favorite.
1: What is your coffee order?
0: Uh, Cortado. <laughs> <laughs> my ban I've been ordering cortados for a really long time, and. Do you know what a cortado is?
1: No, I don't.
0: Okay, great. So, um, it's <laughs> been talk qu- about it. Yeah, it's been quite s- like snobbish for a long time, apparently, to order a cortado. <laughs> it's just a latte with a lot less milk. Like, it's just like barely any milk, maybe four ounces or something Mostly like that. Mostly espresso. Yeah, it's like uh, a two to one ratio of milk to espresso. That's my that. order.
1: I love but, that. But uh, you know my a band has made no fun break. of me
0: for a very long time. <laughs> for ordering cortados and having to explain what it is,
1: <laughs> who's your first celebrity crush?
0: Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sarah Michelle Geller.
1: Oh man, do you love that show?
0: I did when I was a kid, and I would watch it. I don't even know how old I was. I must have been pretty young, and I would watch it, and then, like, my mom would come home and I'd turn it off. You know, <laughs> like I was like, I'm pretty sure. I shouldn't be watching this so that says something about my childhood and upraising and like how I was as a kid but also (laughs) uh, yeah something about the show I I was really into it
1: who is the nicest musician you've ever met
0: the nicest musician I've ever met two people are coming into my head who both have produced records for us Aaron Dessner who is in the National and uh, keeps co-writing Taylor Swift albums? Maybe you've heard about that. Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> but yeah, like he took us in. We met on tour uh, with the National, and we're trying to find a producer for a second record. And we're like, "Hey, do you want to produce a record?" He's like, "Yes." And we moved into his house. We lived with him and his wife and his new baby for like several months. And oh man, uh, he was—he's just it's so intense. sweet. And I, yeah. And I I love him very much. And then Sean Everett produced Violet Street. And he is pure kindness. He is just a ball of energy and like the sweetest soul. And he doesn't do anything except make music. That's all he's done (laughs) his whole (laughs) life. (laughs) He's very singular and, and fun to hang out with.
1: Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Okay, this is the last question. Okay. It's a very important one. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited?
0: That is Big Sur, California. That is my favorite place in the world, and it's also where I got married.
1: Oh. Sweet.
0: And it's the it's also where the song When Am I Gonna Lose You takes place.
1: I feel that with like the the mist of Big yeah. Sur. Yeah, yeah, you feel the mist. I yeah. feel it. Yep. Have For you the been anxiety there? Anxiety and the mist. I drove <laughs> through it on um the one the yeah that, the coastal route yeah 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 just and and it looked beautiful yeah so is it very small
0: it is yeah it's a small patch of the one up up there along the cliff
1: yeah it was beautiful but i'll have to go back
0: yeah for sure
1: that's it thank you so much for talking awesome. to me taylor of this course great.
0: yeah thank you for having me it was a pleasure to talk to you
1: Basic Folk this week was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton of the band Townspeople composes our music. Basic Folk is proud to be on the American Songwriters Podcast Network. I'm Cindy Howes. Thanks for listening to this episode. And if you liked it, please share it with a friend and tell them that they can get Basic Folk wherever they podcast or at my website, CindyHouse.net. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.